are still living. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, what like, a 90s kind of world. <laughs> I'm glad I got my girl. Keep your head up, boy. You know, girl, that's no, my favorite thing. That's my favorite theme song. Really? I can of any TV show ever, 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 ever. Oh. The, living, the Living Single theme song is my absolute favorite. It's so catchy. Absolute favorite. It's so catchy. It really I, is. You know, I'm a Philly girl. So, you know, I got to hold it down for West Philadelphia. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is still that favorite for me. So I feature um, her. I feature her. I can't her. do the whole song because it's a whole song. Like, it's like three minutes. I can't do the yeah. full it's it is longer than because yeah. actually in the first few episodes of Fresh Prince they do actually do play the whole theme song. If you go back to like episode one, two, three, mm-hmm. I think they play the whole theme song, which is like you said is like three minutes long mm-hmm. or so, girl. But yeah, yeah. That- but um, yeah, girls, um, because we got busy stuff to get through, we're gonna stop talking about our ninety six. <laughs> Um, and get back to another episode of Two Say Queens and part two of our pandemic retroactive. Um, our conversation with our vaccine expert, Dr. Vaccine Shaw, is still with us. Hey, Dr. Shaw. Hey, baby girl. Again. <laughs> um, this continues to be one of the few places to in the pause where we are constantly about politics, dick, and we're really going to be talking about vaccines quite a bit this episode. So... Last episode, we left off um, kind of talking about the mRNA vaccine technology, which um, is kind of the modified or modified technology, feel free to correct me, um, that has gone into vaccines like the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Um, and now we're kind of going to pick that back up. Does it feel good, Deborah? Just kind of getting into like the FCC. Yeah. And, yeah, go ahead. Well, take it from yeah, here, like what? Okay, so. We it came out right after two doses. You know, uh, Moderna's ninety four percent effective. Pfizer's ninety five percent effective. And it's so worth think, saying those doses are spread out at different times. Yeah, some of the girls might know Pfizer is twenty one days. Twenty one days between doses. Yes, and Moderna's twenty eight. Twenty eight days between oh, girl, doses. Look at me. She did some research. Yes. <laughs> and the efficacy, the 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 ninety five percent mark for Pfizer takes place. They said Pfizer actually, you're really one week out. You might actually have ninety five percent but for sure two weeks out yes. ooh, ooh, and with ooh. real quick disclaimer girls again you know don't hold us we're just doing we're doing the best we can we're not liable this is all you know follow <laughs> cdc yeah, guidance girl. all that stuff okay go ahead girl yeah. and then i i think moderna moderna is 14 days out from the second dose so from your start of your first dose to 42 days later 14 days after your second dose that's when you're 94 percent protected according to the studies right but we have these newer vaccines that you know that have just been authorized in the u.s well one in particular johnson and johnson which is i think showing a efficacy rate in the 70s and some girls are turning their nose up at that dr shaw like oh well how is it why is it not as effective as pfizer and moderna um and so why is that dr shaw what it, what is that about tell us about um that. so i'm not entirely sure i don't think anybody knows why it's less effective it could be related to the fact that it's only one shot um, okay and so maybe that's why it is less effective i do want to point out though that 70 percent effectiveness uh is still very good and and would be good enough if that was the best we had that would still be good enough to curb the pandemic i think um mm. Because our flu vaccines tend to sometimes are as low as like 40% effective, yes, right? They, in a given year. Yes. See, that's the stuff we need. That helps some of that misinformation and misconception. Like girls don't even know that like, yeah, that's how high the vac- vaccine, the flu um, vaccine. And, is. you know, the other thing too with the, with the J&J um, vaccine, the reason I think um, there's reason to be excited for it is the fact that it's only one shot means that the compliance or the proportion of people who comply with the one shot is going to be higher than for two shots. Because mm. for two shots, you got to show back up. 
Yeah. Right. You might not. So the Johnson Johnson mm-hmm. vaccine being one shot. And I believe that one also can be stored at a warmer temperature for longer yes. compared to the other ones. So it would be easier to get to areas that don't have the storage facilities that we may have in the bigger mm, cities. That's tasty. Fi- Pfizer needs like deep medical yeah. grade like freezers, right? And Moderna just, I think, can take regular freezers for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So right? essentially uh, for, for short-term storage, Moderna is okay. But for long-term storage, I think both Pfizer and Moderna need to be at like negative 20 or negative 80 degrees. Uh, whereas the Johnson & Johnson, I think, can stay for a month or two at four degrees, which is basically mm. the temperature in a refrigerator. Oh, so it feels like So it feels like, you know, one of the questions we did get is like, oh, which vaccine is better? Should I be a Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson? And, and you're like, girl, just get a vaccine. Just get a vaccine. Um, and, you know, the other thing, you know, we sort of mentioned on herd immunity earlier, but as a proportion of people to get vaccinated goes up, I think, um, in a way, it won't matter as much which vaccine you got because all mm. of us will, those of us who have been vaccinated will have at least some degree of protection. Right. Um, and the whole, the whole reason you want people to be immune um, is that you want to break the chain of transmissions. And so mm. if your rate of getting infected and transmitting it is 50% lower, that's still better than zero. That's still better than nothing. In fact, for the FDA, they came out before the vaccine released, before any of them released any of their data, they said their guideline was it has to be at least 50% effective. That was their minimum. So the fact that oh. we now have the Pfizer at 70%, both Moderna or Pfizer and Moderna at 90%, the J&J at 70%, the AstraZeneca at 80%, those are all exceeding the 50% mm. goal. All right. All right, but girls. Here's the tea, though. I, I read that also that the Johnson & Johnson may be less effective because it was tested later and it was tested against new variants like the Brazilian variant and the South African variant and, and you know, and variants... Uh, What's the other really dangerous the one? South, Brazil, the, South Africa, UK. The but UK. the UK one, yeah. They were saying because it was tested later against variants, that like if the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were tested later, they might not that have been. they act yep. they might not have been at ninety five and ninety four percent either. Um that's possible and, and they are doing studies now to look at the effectiveness against new strains. Uh so for some of them the effectiveness is decreased. Again, it's still pretty good. So I, I think for the Johnson & Johnson one against, I think it was the South African strain, it's all, only like 55% effective versus the 70% of, against the whatever the original strains. Um, but again, something is better than nothing. And mm-hmm. I think the other thing to keep in mind for, for, for COVID-19 is it's not going to go away, which means we're going to have new strains. Um, so we will have to make new vaccines periodically. I, I you know, I'm, I'm not... A public health expert, but my feeling is that we will have to sort of like the flu vaccine, we'll have to get periodic updates on our COVID vaccines, mm. and that's okay. just going to be it for the foreseeable future. Um, this Thank this is not going to go away, and we see the same thing with flu. So you remember the the Spanish flu epidemic that you know we've all sort of heard about a little bit, killed thirty million people. Oof. A lot of our flu strains today came from that one. Wow, that was a hundred years ago. That. Yeah, they it's still around. You still get those mm. strains that circulate. These things don't go away that girl's a survivor huh. that's i mean that that's what they do right but i mean they're little bits of genetic material they mutate and they keep passing that's just they they've been around forever so and it's so weird because the spanish flu is a misnomer because they actually traced it back and yep. that too actually they think originated in china they think that that's strange i mean no not to shade the china, china but they think that that actually might have spanish you're not shaded the girls but. yeah yeah but actually it is no going back to the different vaccines though because i noticed the astrazeneca vaccine is not approved yet in the united states for one that's one thing but um on top of that not being approved in the u.s you know 
I also read that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, you know, it had a, oh no, I'm sorry. No, that was AstraZeneca. I'm lying. But the AstraZeneca vaccine, for instance, had a lower effectiveness rate among HIV positive people when they looked at the efficacy in South Africa to the point where actually South Africa did not even, or it might've been Johnson and Johnson. It was one of the two newer ones. It was either J and J or AstraZeneca to, um, but AstraZeneca actually, I think was actually disapproved in South Africa. They actually no longer have are allowing that one to circulate because it's ineffective or somewhat ineffective against the South African strain, but that Johnson and Johnson even was less effective in HIV positive people in South Africa than in people who are HIV negative. And so I was just kind of thinking like, I know, I think AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson are adenovirus based vaccines. Mm -hmm. Um, and even, even some articles came out that made people paranoid saying that adenovirus based vaccines made people who were HIV negative more susceptible to HIV based on some old, you know, study or whatnot. So, you know, for queer people who either are HIV positive already or are more susceptible to HIV, spe- specifically, you know, queer queer uh, men mm-hmm. or uh, queer people who have insertive anal sex in particular, what what should we make of, you know, the newer vaccines, their efficacy, adenovirus-based vaccines versus the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna? What should, what should we construe with all of that? So the at least from the data I've seen, the studies in terms of looking at effectiveness in people with HIV, they did not have enough people with HIV in the in this trials to make any solid conclusions about effectiveness. Um, in, in, in the studies where they did report the proportion of HIV positive people who either did or did not get COVID during the trial that were on the vaccine, there was not, like I said, there wasn't enough people to draw any sort of statistical conclusions. Okay. So it's unclear, but in terms of what you're talking about with the adenovirus vaccines and and HIV susceptibility, that data, uh, there there was an HIV vaccine trial that was stopped uh, like 12 years ago and it was an adenovirus based uh, vaccine. Uh, They stopped it because it didn't seem to be effective and it seems to increased the, or is associated with an increased risk of HIV infection in some of the trial participants. Um, it's not clear why that was. I should mention that um, that the increased rate of HIV in the people receiving the vaccine was only on a subset of patients. So these were uncircumcised men that had pre-existing immunity to the virus they used to induce the vaccine response. So it was only a, it wasn't like all the patients oh. and and there and and I also have to mention there was another similar trial that did not show an increased risk of HIV infection with that type of vaccine. So the studies are a little murky. Um okay. it, it is it is something that people are aware of and so I've seen you know discussions in the Lancet um and and other uh medical and scientific journals where they people are aware of these things and are looking into them. Um but I think so far it's been difficult to draw any real conclusions just because of those low numbers of HIV positive people in those trials. But they're, they're. Except in the, I think in the J and J South Africa trial, there was a fair number of HIV positive participants and they showed that the J, the J and J vaccine, if I'm not mistaken, was less effective in HIV positive people against the South African strain in particular. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't looking at the strain that's predominant here in the U S which is, I think a European, yeah. init- originally yeah. a European strain. Um, I mean, it's also but, possible that could be because it is a South African. So there could be something unique about that particular virus there mm, that, right. that may not necessarily be broadly applicable to everyone. Um, but I will say that in general, I don't see any um, strong evidence that that 
any of these vaccines will increase your risk of HIV or uh, that they will uh, be less effective necessarily in people who have HIV. They, those two things shouldn't, I, I, I don't see a reason initially why they, why they would be linked. So a queer, a queer girl, a queer girl or HIV plus girl can get Johnson and Johnson and be okay. Right. Yes. You think- yeah. No, I don't, I don't see, okay. there's not going to be any, you know, um, you're not going to have any like huge adverse event or doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't see anything like that. Um, and since we got in the weeds a little bit, what isn't, what does it mean to say an adeno, adenovirus? Like, what? Uh, so for those, uh, for those two uh, vaccines, uh, basically what that means is, um, so the mRNA vaccine is kind of, um, it's a little bit of, of code encoding the spike protein. Mm-hmm. And so you inject it and your body makes an immune response against the spike protein. The, um, the uh, adenovirus is you take a harmless virus that we've all anywhere from 60 to 90% of us have already had anyway. Um, it doesn't really cause any symptoms or anything, but you take that virus and you change it so that now it encodes the spike protein from COVID. Mm-hmm. And so the virus itself is harmless, but all it does is it, it, it tricks your body again into seeing the spike mm-hmm. protein. So you make an immune response. And yeah. so the, these sorts of technologies have also been around for a very long time. They've been used mm-hmm. in, um, in, in different therapies and in different, you know, we've dosed people and, and, but for as far as COVID goes, the adenovirus-based vaccines are Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca, right? Yes, yeah, those two. Mm-hmm. And is there any other technologies emerging in COVID vaccines that don't use either mRNA or adenovirus? Yes. So there is a company called Novavax, and they will probably, I would guess, end up being the fifth one that's approved in addition to the other four that we've talked about mm-hmm. in the U.S. So girls, start investing now in the stock market. Listen, Get in no, there. the gag is Novavax <laughs> stock has already shot up, and I'm kicking Damn, myself because, it. like. I should have seen that. That shit was like three dollars a share last year. Oh, girl, don't talk. It's to like me. ridiculous now, and they're oh, they're, they're all the, all their execs have cashed out like billions oh. of dollars because. Damn, can I be? If I can be candid, I I bought Moderna stock two or three days before the 2020 election uh-huh. um and before i think it was it was approved before it was approved here in the u.s i bought it like in the 60 dollar range and sold it at like 130 dollars nice. so i it more That's than so doubled nice, even girl. for moderna stuff yeah just that is the, so nice thanks the girls for letting know. us know thanks yeah. anyway I, mean, I, I, I can tell you <laughs> after the fact i don't think i can tell you in real time just uh, uh, okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and i i i was looking at uh, uh moderna and <laughs> <laughs> and Novavax, and you know, I, I just didn't. Just I was. It was a lot going on. Moderna's back down though, because it went. I sold it prematurely. It went up to one seventy, and now it's back down in the one thirties. So you know, just so the girls know, it is back down. So, but we were talking about new technologies with Novavax. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nova, Nova and not Devro's yeah. money. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Doctor Shaw. Um. Uh. Yeah. What, what was? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So the Novavax vaccine. Um. Is it uses a virus-like particle. Um, so it's essentially like almost like a little empty or fake virus. Uh, it's or not even a virus. It's like a little nanoparticle and they code it with a spike protein. Oh, and so are, do we have any live virus vaccines that are going to be coming out? We don't, do we even use those anymore? No, or no. no. Um, there is, uh, there's a company, I believe in India that is using an inactivated, it's not live, but they take some. I'm sorry, inactivated. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yes, we do use an inactivated. So some of the flu vaccines are inactivated. That's what I was going to say. Mm. Um, 
but there, there's a company I think in India and their, their leading uh, candidate for a vaccine is one that isn't inactivated. So they use a chemical to kill the virus and then they inject it or mm. yeah, dose you with it. Just, just are there any, were there, did we ever use live virus vaccines or was that never a thing? Um, not directly. So the, the smallpox, the, I mean, the, the ancient one, the, you know, one from the milkmaids, mm. that was a live virus. Um, <laughs> Uh, or at least initially, and and then they started using heat inactivated or otherwise uh, inactivated viruses. But now, obviously, we have a lot more technology and a lot more range of th- of tools to use. So, all right. Well, I think we um, can get into some more questions that we had people come in mm-hmm. send us in. Um, so one goes to um, this is also from New York City to Miami, um, and you're I won't say where you are. You're in a city that has black people. I'll say that. Yes. Um, <laughs> is there a sense that black women are trending for or against taking a vaccine that you're kind of seeing, even, I guess, even among your friends, um, why and what are the factors? Um, I would say, at least in my circle, most of my friends have tried to get or have gotten a vaccine. Okay. They want that hot girl They somewhere. are trying <laughs> to get out of the house. The girls are going crazy. Listen, um, I would say that many, but that's also, I think, a function of um, education, education and maybe? socioeconomic yeah, status. Girl. Yes. Um, yeah. The, the professional girls want to get the vaccines and get back yes, and get back yes. out to happy hour and get back out mm-hmm. to Cabo. Go to Fire Island. Go Fire to Miami. Island, yes. Go to Paris. That's Listen, the girls are trying to get back to Ibiza and Mykonos. Puerto Vallarta. They don't want to, but they don't want to get caught like the white girls did early on. They're like, oh no, girl, I got my vaccine. I'm allowed to be here. Hello. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I would say I actually just saw a nice um it was a it was a an infographic around who's who's skeptical of the vaccine. And mm. uh, black people were actually not the the most skeptical. Really? It was uh white evangelicals. Oh well, you know. And Repu- Repu- <laughs> Republicans, yes. One in the fifty-six percent of Republicans were skeptical of the vaccine or, or said they may not take the vaccine 56 percent mm. for black people it was like in the 20s or 30s yeah. like it was way lower and it, mm. it's gone way down vaccine skepticism yep. in the black community since the covid shot hit has gone way down and let me tell you i just talked a 60 something uh 63 year old security guard in my building into getting her vaccine at first she wasn't going to get it and i and she was eligible based on her profession and then now her age more recently and so all security guards in Detroit are, are eligible to get it. Mm. I told her, girl, look, it's going to get so wild this summer. All the young people are going to be out with no mask on. You know, it's going to be a hot boy, hot girl summer. Like you don't want, you know, even walking through a building, people are going to probably try to walk through with no mask. You need to mm. get the vaccine. Mm. She called on the spot and got her shot the next day. And so it just takes, I think, and then she's trying to encourage her coworkers who were skeptical other security guards in our building to get the vaccine. And I think she'll be more successful than me. I'm just I think like, that's what it is. It's like, I feel like I have friends who are like kind of on the fence, but ultimately it's like, they heard one of their girlfriends, one of their friends got it. And it's like, Oh, okay. I might be thinking about getting it soon. Um, Cause I think we talked a lot about these big misconceptions and misunderstandings. Um, and I think you unpacked a lot of them. Um, but I think some of it is just that like, you know, is that unknown or not feeling like, oh, do I, who do I trust? Like, it's about that trust. And, you know, I've seen um, a lot of people say, I don't want to be a guinea pig. Um, that's a common mm. kind of theme. But at this point in the game, we've, in the U.S. alone, dosed tens of millions of people. We're well past the guinea pig, guinea pig stage. There's, there's, mm. if there were any major safety signals or mm. issues with the vaccine, we would know 
by now. In fact, the 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 I was looking at the adverse events earlier um, associated with the dosing of the vaccines, and it's largely mild. I think there've uh, been a couple thousand more severe adverse events, and ninety percent of those were not life threatening, or you know, people generally recovered. Um, and and they've been primarily in people with pre-existing uh, issues, so people with known allergic reactions to other shots or other medical mm-hmm. uh, treatments, other vaccines. So they are largely well tolerated um, mm. and safe. But the shell, the shellfish, and the peanut girls—they got to take their—they they should take their epipen with them to go get the shot, I would though, right? Just in probably case. take my epipen just in case. But that's, that's yeah. also why they make you stay at the facility for a few minutes after you get mm. your shot, because if you were going to have an allergic reaction, um, it would happen. Yeah. Now, girl, I was in a, in a, in a pharmacy at a grocery store and I was like, well, if I did have a, re- what, do you, what are y'all going to do? Like, yeah, everybody go help me here. But I mean, it was fine, obviously, but mm. you got to bring your own though for the you shellfish girls, you nut allergy girls, y'all got to bring your own EpiPen to the place. Cause mm. I don't, I got mine at a, like at a health you know, at a public health facility. And I didn't see those girls with EpiPens, like stacks of EpiPens on a, on a table anywhere. Mm. But I noticed that they did at that facility. I remember like, I'm not an allergy girl. So I I only had to wait 15 minutes, but they told the girls who were like shellfish girls and nut allergy girls to to wait 30 minutes. So they, they, they made some of those girls wait 30 minutes. Yeah. All right. I know some nut allergy girls listen. So y'all girls wait, don't leave yet. Um, or but, wait, yeah, wait the 15 to 30 minutes, whatever they say, and bring your own EpiPen. Bring your own EpiPen. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, girl, this feels like a good time to just mention how the rollout has just been so different. Like, literally, you're talking about that security guard who literally, she's getting it tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you all about the shenanigans I had to go through in Philly to try and get my mom, you know, her vaccine, where we were, like, re- you know, going to special websites, vaxmax.com, y'all, V-A-X-X dot M, well, V-A-X-X-M-A-X.com. It's, like, shows appointments that are available for Rite Aids and Walgreens, and then you have that in one tab, and then you have Rite Aid in the next tab, the scheduler, and just, there was this whole thing where, like, People outside of the Philadelphia area were able to book appointments in Philadelphia. There was like a glitch in Rite Aid system. Um, and then don't, the California girls are just out here waiting for hours. I mean, so it just feels like we're all over the place. In, um, in, Florida, think about that? in Florida, at one point, they were using Eventbrite. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, come serious? on, Eventbrite. Yes. You better get the extra money, girl. So, I mean, <laughs> this is what happens when you don't have a coordinated federal response and when you have yes. a government that's ignored yes. it for a year. And so, yeah. like, just because Biden came in, girls, he can't just turn it like no, that. Especially when some of the local and regional and state girls are used to doing whatever they want. For this last is four this years. is one of the reasons, you know. Last year, I was I was encouraging you know patients because even though we have promising results from vaccines, the other thing you have to do is distribute those drugs. You have to get them to people, and mm-hmm. it's really challenging to do when you know not everybody lives in New York or you know Philly or DC or Chicago. A lot of people live further out, and it's harder. And you have to sort of, you have to set these systems up in advance. You don't just pull them out of thin air. This is one of the things, lessons I hope we take from COVID is that we should be prepared for the next one. We need to have these systems Mm -hmm. set up, particularly the testing and contact tracing. Because if we'd had that at first, I think we would have been able to shut it down a lot easier. And and whose fault was that about the testing, girl? Who who delayed the testing? Uh, I mean, it was a combination of stuff. But in general, our government literally ignored everything. I mean, they, they didn't set up anything we had a president who said that they didn't want to test because the numbers would go up (laughs) well also though during during january and february during january and february of 2020 
You know, in all honesty, the CDC, there was yeah. some contamination issues and we didn't have our own, we didn't have really any, any, really some state and local municipalities and hospitals and labs started testing people like in Seattle against CDC's guidance and recommendations because they hadn't gotten this, the, the effective CDC data. In, in, in parts of, in and, parts and of the, that's how they discovered some yeah. cases in Seattle. That's how, in, back in January, that's how they discovered some cases. They were actually because doing the CDC testing, test wasn't ready. Uh, in academic labs. You had people just, you know, common uh, lab tests because there was no government infrastructure. There was no state investment or um, support to do any of that stuff. And you compare this to what happened when we had uh, Ebola or we had um, the swine flu outbreak or was it bird flu? I can't remember. In Obama's presidency, we had a government that that actually like cared and tried to set this up. You know, I remember... Um, thinking, uh, so I was reading about the contact tracing in other places. So right now, for instance, in Australia, New Zealand, they're going back to having concerts and, and sporting. Oh, yes. It's Sydney Mardi Gras right now for the girls. Because they can test, trace, and isolate. Their, their contact tracing in New Zealand is so good. They ch- they test, they trace an outbreak to an elevator. Ooh. Oh, wow. Tea. Which we, we, we couldn't do that today. And we've been in a <laughs> year. Right. So it's just, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of an example of what happens when you disinvest from public institutions, including the CDC, the FDA, when they start getting too um, uh, too interfered with by politicians and you end up in a situation where you really need them. And the average American doesn't pay attention to any of this stuff except when you need it, right? We, we got rid of our pandemic preparedness team. Right. We disinvested from the WHO year, well, a year before any of this ever happened. Mm-hmm. We did all these things that left us unprepared. And so my hope is that mm-hmm. You know, one of the lessons we take is that next time we will be better prepared. We can reinvest in these things. We can invest in having a national stockpile of masks. We can have a plan at a, at a minimum, a regional plan. I think at one point last year, we had something like 18 different state and regional plans covering the whole country. That makes no sense because you have, you know, in the South, you might have Georgia and Alabama who didn't close. And you have North Carolina and Virginia that are trying to close, but it doesn't, I mean, the, the border is right next, you know, that doesn't do anything if, if everybody doesn't have the same coordinated type of response listen in michigan because our restaurants and everything were closed the girls were going down to ohio to eat in an indoor restaurant they were that pressed to eat at a restaurant yeah, tgi fridays casino. probably or something crazy yeah girl i mean you risked it all for tgi fridays or applebee's girl that is so late mm. oh my gosh but yeah I, but you know what's interesting too is like for the um but the cdc director is generally a political appointee so it changes every time we have a new president or sometimes even during a president cycle and the president gets to appoint the cdc director correct yes um and i think the difference here was that the cdc scientists were uh prevented from communicating um mm-hmm. and so there were there were a yeah. lot of reports um, especially on some of the people i follow on twitter that were like yeah we've been told not to speak to media not mm-hmm. to talk to people. And we saw the same pattern repeated in Florida. We saw it in New York. So this wasn't necessarily a Democratic or Republican thing. We saw people, we saw politicians, governors, president interfere with people. We saw uh, Dr. Fauci sidelined. Uh, you know, they stopped having these conferences that they should have had every week. Um, and so you basically had a case where you're not testing, you're not tracing, you're not getting prepared to distribute a vaccine. You're acting like the virus is just going to go away. Mm-hmm. And obviously that, that was never going to happen, especially once we started having community spread in the country. Like it, it, like I said, we knew that I remember a year ago when I told my family, like, if we don't get this together, we're going to have half a million dead people. And they thought I was being crazy. And, and clearly 
I, I mean, I honestly thought as bad as Trump was at some point, he would have snapped out. He would have cared a little mm. bit. <laughs> but when that motherfucker had COVID himself and was like trying to, he was clearly struggling to he breathe. He said it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Ma'am. But he, they said that girl was on her, I, I said, they said this, they said that girl was on her way up out of here without that experimental treatment. Oh, for sure. They said she, yeah, she was on her way out of and here. And it'll be 75 year old? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he was playing some games, honey. I I don't know what but, you know, but he he was more concerned with he knew who his base was. He knew his base was anti science, skeptical Republican girls and uh, anti intellectual girls, and he had to go with that. He really based it all on. He basically was a base president. He didn't. He didn't. He never governed with everyone in mind. Only ever with his base in mind. So, I think you know, in terms of the other thing that really hurt us at the beginning was. Um, when you have an outbreak, um, you don't get it, it can it can get very quickly out of control. Do you remember at the very beginning when we were having like two deaths a day and like a hundred infections and every and half the the media was like, oh, this isn't a big deal? Mm-hmm. Every single scientist, public health official, and medical expert that I know was like screaming, like, no, 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 no. We need to shut this down now. We need to take care of this now because it will get bad. And if we're t- if we're picking up this much, there's a lot more that we're not picking up. Mm-hmm. And so it was very clear that there was they were just they were just ignoring it, you know. And and it's frustrating because you know what's coming, and we know what did end up happening. Um, and, right. And and especially you know the other thing for me was that once we saw what happened in Italy. I, th- I thought, okay, because with China, you always have this, you always have the kind of skepticism of, okay, well, the government censors a lot of stuff. We don't really know what's going on there. But once you started to see Italy and the UK with, you know, Italy at one point, the northern part of Italy with all the, you know, they have a lot of older folks. Mm-hmm. They, they're, you know, they, they were putting people in swim, they're putting uh, bodies in, um, in, in um, refrigerated trucks outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anywhere else to put them. They were in Spain and parts of Spain, they were putting them in empty swimming pools. Mm. They had nowhere else to put them. And see, in Italy, that started around February 20th, I remember, yeah. that's, which was the end of Milan, like kind of toward the tail end of Milan Fashion Week. And then those girls, I thought about it, those girls are coming back to New York from Milan Fashion Week, you know, or and then they still had Paris Fashion Week the next week after Milan, basically, uh, like they had to basically, I think, even cancel Milan a day early. And they those girls still just flew to Paris and they flew to New York. You know, including for Paris Fashion Week. So I thought that was some tea too. But when it was happening in Italy, that's when I told myself, oh shit, I need to go shopping. I need to order things online. I need to buy masks. I ordered masks from China around February 22nd, February 23rd. And I started buying like, I didn't know if the grocery stores would be open or not. So I remember I started buying like canned goods in bulk. And like by March 1st, I had most of the supplies I needed because I, I saw, when I saw Italy, I knew that was coming here. I knew that was coming here when I saw Italy. But the, the one thing that I thought was really interesting too was a public health official in Ohio. I remember during like, it was like the first week of March. It was like this time last year, right? She came out and she said, Oh, we believe there's a hundred thousand active cases in Ohio right mm-hmm. now. And everyone freaked out, especially in the border states like here in Michigan where I live. And the Republican governor said, oh, no, that's not the case. When that pro- She was probably right. That probably, there oh, probably yeah. was in early March 100,000 cases in Ohio circulating. And, 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 and we, we know that there was more than what we picked up because if you look at the death curves, they're higher, obviously, last year than they were the year before because of COVID. But there's also a fraction that's not related to anything else that was probably COVID. 
especially mm. at the beginning when we did not have testing. So people were dying with respiratory illnesses and they didn't have flu or RSV or something, mm. but we didn't know what it was. So it wasn't officially COVID. But so for sure, there was uncontrolled spread way before it was really, really reported. And in particular, as I mentioned earlier, because the virus is asymptomatic in so many people, you know, who knows how many in, in I think in, in the, some of the early studies in New York, um, they showed that if you look for antibodies to see who had been previously exposed, it was like one fifth of the population already. Mm. So you had way more people that were infected than. Yeah. Then we're then because of lack of testing in March and April, it's mm. in May, et cetera. And also because of the because of the, you know. Well, because I mean, they weren't identified in testing, so we don't have the official. Exactly. And, and if you're not sick. You weren't going to go, you know, you just weren't going to Yeah, go. why would you go? Why would you go, especially when it was hard to get, you didn't know where you're trying to stay in your house. Um, but it was just, it's like a colossal failure of, it, it was like, I think about sort of the lack of government response and preparedness for something like Hurricane Katrina and think that this is the same, except on a national level. Mm. It's a lack of, um, it's a lack of investment in the government. It's a lack of belief in what government can do. Mm. Um, mm. And the scary thing for me is that as we go forward, the lesson, big lesson from this for me should have been that we need to invest in our government and public health resources. And that doesn't seem to be talked about. So it just kind of feels like we're just waiting for the next thing. I mean, this is the third coronavirus in 20 years to cause an outbreak. They're clearly going to happen again. The first Mm. being, the first being SARS, the second being MERS. And then this is the third one, right? Yeah. Right. And MERS stands for Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome because it was identified in the middle, I think maybe in Saudi Arabia at first or somewhere in the Middle East. I, You know what's so crazy? I was talking to Miss Malachi on the phone on Saturday and I was just like walking around town. I walked into a smoothie shop. I encountered a girl, uh, one of my mom's friends. who She and Miss Malachi actually have the same birthday, oddly enough. And we were just chatting and she was reminding me about one of her nephews who was 32 uh, or he was like a more extended, he was like a nephew of one of her sisters, mm-hmm. like a through marriage, right? And she was just reminding me that he died in March 3rd, on March 3rd here in Detroit, right? So officially the first person to die of COVID here in Michigan was on March 16th. But, but they were saying, yeah. but he died on March 3rd from some kind of respiratory illness. They went back and did an autopsy. He had COVID. Mm-hmm. And so they can't, so they're, so... It's just crazy because he probably died as early as the first week of March, and he was already sick in February at some point. The same thing has been shown in California, by the way. They did the same thing. Went back and tested some of the bodies, the people that died of respiratory illnesses mm. in like February. It was the same thing. They had COVID. One lady had died on like February 6th in California. Yeah. She worked at some consulting firm in San Jose or something, I remember. And like a guy from Wuhan had come to her office on business. He was probably asymptomatic. They didn't think anything of it, but she ended up getting sick, had flu symptoms, slight, mildly recovered, and then she died. Yeah, I remember reading that story, too. That's so crazy. And, and in February. In February. We, we've talked a lot about the deaths associated with COVID. There's a significant portion of people that don't die but have long-term complications, and we don't know how long they will be sick. They A lot of people can end up with organ damage. Um, I've read stories of people having to have their extremities amputated uh, because the virus causes Ooh. such significant tissue damage. So there's all sorts of complications from this. This is always the reason for me why we should have shut down everything. It wasn't necessarily, it wasn't just that a lot of people would die. It was a lot of people die and a lot more people would be sick long-term. And so my feeling is that the, the, the burden on a medical system from these long haulers, as they're called, people who are either chronically infected or have long-term symptoms of COVID, 
you know, there are people who have lost their sense of smell for like months or people who have the fever for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, so it, it, Mm. it's not just sort of the acute infection. And this this is also why um, the new strains concern me because if they are more transmissible or more likely to cause disease, you might have a virus where maybe it still only kills 1%, but what if a third of the people who get it have long-term organ damage or something like that? Like, how do you deal with it? And this is, this is incidentally too, I'm kind of rambling, but I think the, the, Mm -hmm. the thing that I, I keep wishing we've sort of communicated more to people particularly the politicians in charge of this stuff, which is that when you get uncontrolled spread, the mutations are more likely. You get these new variants oh. in places that have uncontrolled spread because you have way more infections and the opportunity oh. for new the mutations for is much change. higher, exactly. Yeah. So it's not, you can't just say, you know, like in Houston, I was reading, they have all three. They have the British, the Brazilian and the South African <laughs> variant already. And so- Did they just open back up? they just open back up. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, what are y'all doing? This, this is, this is, it's just, uh, it's so sad. They said there's a possibility of like some of those variants combining too to create like a super variant oh, too. God. I read. Well, that. if all that right. would be the all end right. of. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. And, I'm rated it in. <laughs> okay, okay. No, I'm I just, a lemons I, girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I mean, there. I mean, go ahead. There may. Okay. Go ahead. Well, no. Also, show. like those chronically infected people that you talk about who have fevers for weeks, those those tend to be the people that the virus mutates in. Correct. Yeah. That, yeah. Because you, you they're finding. Yeah, you get more virus, uh, and so you end up with these mutations in the spike protein. This is the key part of the virus that seems mm. to allow it to either attach easier, which means it spreads better, or that it causes more um, more disease, and so. They actually traced a man in Boston who had a chronic autoimmune condition. Um, and he had, he got COVID and he, he actually did end up dying from COVID. But for 45 days, he had like chronic fevers and, and just, he tested positive for COVID all 45 days. Like it didn't leave his system. And they said a mutation did develop in him, but he was so isolated that it didn't spread. I read something along those lines. Like he didn't, he didn't spread it to other people, but he did. There was going to be a Boston virus, like a Boston mutation of the virus, had he been more reckless and been, you know, out there. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Um, What about in terms of? Actually, I do want to get to a question from uh, one of our listeners, actually Michael of Your Gay Cousins. Hey, girl. Hey, cousin. Uh, Hey, cousin. Um, So he said, "Hi, queens." Uh, a question for your guests. Why do you think there's no clear guidance or communication on what slowly reopening the world will look like? I understand getting a vaccine doesn't mean we can gather again regularly right away, but can two people who have been vaccinated fully after proper time has passed feel safe doing smaller gatherings? Is it a communication problem or we just don't know the science yet? I, Thank you. I think it's I will, both. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think also part of it is just like, as you said, we're not having a consolidated strategy and communication. Yeah, we, we, we lack, I think, that. And, and that's a really good question. I don't think the science is very clear. While the vaccines will prevent a lot of infections and a lot of, uh, particularly, they're very good at protecting against severe disease and hospitalization. Uh, that does not mean you can't carry the virus. Um, right. and so it's just going to take more time to study. And unfortunately, these things are very hard to do, they're just hard to do. These types of studies mm. do typically, I've been involved in these viral surveillance studies before. They typically take years of planning and we obviously don't have mm. that right now. 
Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's, it's very difficult to do. I think in general, if you are vaccinated, I wouldn't go back to doing things normally. Um, I think it's for right now. So I, so don't book that trip yet. No. Cause I got girls ready for hot girl summer. So, I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all really took us down and now you're telling me I can't do hot girl summer. Like girls are ready. Just I mean, they, listen, it's going to happen. Like, it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> Is it possible? It's going to happen anyway. The clubs in Atlanta are going to be packed from Memorial day through labor day. It's just is what it is. Um, mm. I think in the meantime, and given that uh, we should aim to vaccinate as many people as we can with whatever vaccine. And I would also say that, that, um, but it's like you were saying irrespective the goal you shouldn't try and still go like yeah girl maybe go to like a pool party but you shouldn't still go about business as usual because it doesn't mean that everything's okay particularly for indoor gatherings you still want to avoid those that's generally you know still the going to be your primary sort of risk factor um and one of the things you said too in terms of vaccinating that means globally right we can't just hoard the vaccines in the u.s and the uk and europe and in Australia, or I, I guess they're not even high on the vaccine list, but we <laughs> have to worried. send, yeah, we have to send, we have to send the, we have to send vaccines through COVAX to, you know, to South America and to, into Africa and to, in, uh, South Asia, right? Like everyone globally needs to be vaccinated, not just in the developed countries. Yeah. And particularly because of what I just mentioned, which is that where you have uncontrolled spread, you have new variants emerging. And so if you only vaccinate the U.S. and you don't, act like you give a shit about anyone in South America or Africa, well, they're just going to have eventually new strains of COVID that might be resistant to your vaccine. So you need to get as many as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the other reasons. So there's this, I saw this sort of thread floating around that was like, why don't we just let all the companies make the same vaccine and blah, blah, blah. You don't, I don't think you want to do that. Um, I think it makes more sense. I like the fact that we have so many different vaccine options. My bet is by the end of the year, we'll have a dozen. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is not only can we make more of them quickly to get to as many people as possible and get at least their first doses, mm-hmm. but it also means that we may have different technologies and approaches that cover the new strains that might emerge. And Got so you, you don't want, I, I would put all your eggs in one basket. I, I wouldn't want to make 8 billion doses of the Moderna and do, just that one and dose everyone with it. I'd rather have yeah. our 20 vaccines and give, you know, a couple hundred million of these Got it. to me, that would make more sense yeah. to do it that way. Um, yeah. You also corrected something I put on Twitter. I retweeted something that said, like, on oh, my from first... from your nigga science my, website, uh, Yeah. It wasn't from my... It was some bullshit, though. It was like... <laughs> it wasn't a nigga... You but it was, conspiracy theories, It was on my Twitter. No, I just said... Somebody was, like, one of, like, the far leftists who I actually agreed with. It was, like, a, a socialist progressive girl. So she had a good intention. It was, yeah. like... She was, she was saying, like, you know, if Pfizer and Moderna wouldn't hoard their technology... We could oh, they they could share they could share it with other companies and they could just start developing it so we could get more scale and I tweeted that and then and then Dr Shaw Dr Vaccine Shaw like didn't retweet me per se but retweeted it and was like this is so not true or something like that well, so why is that not true Dr Shaw um, so I think the best analogy I can think of is that when you make these different vaccines as we mentioned we talked about there's lots of different technologies involved. Um, so the facilities to produce them are all very different and very specialized. And so mm-hmm. what that means is you can't just go from one company to another and say, okay, you make my vaccine because they don't have the facilities. They may not, uh. they may not have the expertise. There are whole teams of people that know how to make drugs that are separate from the people who develop the drugs. And so 
each company has different sets of expertise, different people, different facilities. It's not like, for example, if you go to anybody's oven in their kitchen and put it on 350, you can put your whatever in there and it's going to cook like it normally, you know, <laughs> it's not the same because the facilities Got are different and, and the technologies are different. The expertise is different. It's not a plug and play kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that uh, last uh, the last week, I believe, because Merck's vaccine failed, I think mm-hmm. they made an agreement with one of the other companies, I can't remember which one, to help produce theirs. Johnson & Johnson, yes. I believe. Johnson & Johnson, yeah. And so the other thing Johnson & Johnson did, which is smart in hindsight, um, is I believe they actually pre-produced tens of millions of doses before they'd even trialed it. Yes. With the anticipation that if it were even 50% successful and they thought it would be, that they could then immediately have doses ready to ship, and they do now. So, mm-hmm. um, so we have there are strategies for getting these kinds of things. The other thing I think it's important to keep in mind is that vaccines are not that profitable. That's the reason that only a few companies make them. So you don't vaccines are not like you know cancer drugs or something like that where you can charge a hundred thousand dollars per dose. That's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, while there are lots of problems with pharma and biotech and all that stuff and drug prices out of control, in general. Another episode. For, mm-hmm. Right. In, ge- <laughs> in general, for vaccines, you're not making a ton of money. In fact, the governments in the U.S. anyway usually subsidizes the production of vaccines to keep companies making them, in part to keep companies making them, hmm. because they just aren't that profitable. Um, Interesting. And the other thing I want to I want to sort of address is sort of general, that sentiment and also the skepticism. Yeah, read those girls. Well, no, I get it. I, I totally get it. But I also want to point out that this is unprecedented. And there's a mm. lot of eyes on the field, which means you don't want to be the girl who fucks up. Mm. You don't want to be the company with the bad vaccine, which means that even though we're already under a lot of scrutiny, there's a lot of pressure now to get it right. So that should give you more confidence because no, I mean, can you imagine what would happen to Moderna if their vaccine kills people or, you know what I mean? Like think about that. Yeah. Right? So it, there's this pressure to, to get it right. And mm. I get that. You know, like I said, we have we have what five in the U.S. alone. There's five leading candidates with a couple more coming down the pipeline, and then we also we didn't really talk about it. But we have the therapies, the ones like Trump received, that will be very helpful for managing people who do get. What was that one that he regener- was that Regeneron? Regeneron yeah, that it's an, uh, it's a basically an antibody therapy. So you inject you injected him with a protein that targets the virus for destruction, basically. But they said the South African uh, strain has already evaded that. Yep. So that's kind of interesting. Some of the variants that come, those may become less effective. So they have to continually be redeveloped, right? And Yeah. And over I, I time. think based on our experience with the flu vaccines where we have to keep redeveloping them. Um, uh, and from, I, it just, it feels like now there's just going to be a need for this kind of stuff every year. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of companies will, and a lot of governments will invest in just sort of doing it every year, like screening what strains are pot, what, what strains are emerging, what's new. And as we learn more about it, we may understand a little bit better about how to control the infection. There's been, I think uh, I saw some ridiculous stat that by the end of last year, there was something like several hundred drug trials, either directly or peripherally related to COVID already across the world. And that includes not just vaccines, but things like antibody therapies. People have repurposed other uh, respiratory therapies that they use in other respiratory infections for COVID to see if they work. Hmm. Uh, some of them might work, some of them might not, but I think we're in a pretty good position to be able to treat and manage it going better as long as we can sort of manage the volume of infections. Hmm. Um, as long as we can keep that under control. 
to prevent more variants pre- from exactly. arising in part. And to, right? and to prevent our hospitals from being overwhelmed. I did see one very encouraging piece of data last week that in nursing homes that where people have been vaccinated, the death rate has fallen sharply. Like literally, if you look at the first doses that ship to nursing homes and then the death rate, it just immediately starts going down. So that's a really oh. encouraging sign. Um, Come on, give us something light. Yeah, you know, I mean, this whole it's like doom and gloom. It's like girl, I was like, get your oh, affairs yeah, gonna, in order. Y'all gonna get to the mutated virus? <laughs> yeah, go in on that, girls. I can't wait to hear about it. Um, but no, I think we did kind of want to think a little bit about 2021 and beyond. I think we've done a lot of the discussion where things are going. But I guess one of those questions is like, when do we get to our new normal? I don't know that we're going to get back to normal, but a new normal? 2022, 2023, 2024? I think as long as as we get as many people vaccinated as possible, um, as long as we continue to have widely available testing, um, I would say probably 2022, we should be sort of a pro- like I can imagine in the US, for instance, we maybe won't have, you know, a packed concert, mm. but we might have, you know, some outdoor okay. a festival or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Don't book that Gaga show. Maybe <laughs> Coachella. I got you. Um, so I think, you know, and, and like I said, this is going to be with us. This is here. She's not going away. Yeah. And I mean, that's the reality, too, is just to understand that thing. Like, I mean, Deborah and I talk about it all the time when we were, oh, God, when we were in, was this March? We were talking to the girls and we're like, yeah, I think we're still going to go to Puerto Vallarta in May. Or like, yeah, girl, we can still go somewhere in the fall. And like, no, baby. Being realistic about the timeline of not thinking that just because we're getting vaccinated and just because we're going to have all these doses in the spring as it's Robin at once that, okay, well, we're done by the summer. We're done by the fall. It's yeah, going to take a little and, longer. And, you know, it kind of sucks thinking about having to adopt your behavior. But if you think about the way that we've um, learned to live with HIV, for instance, mm. um, you you kind of, you have no choice. It's here. Well, that's an interesting point because there are girls who've never, if we think about like larger hetero straight society, they've never had to adapt. Well, we have had to adapt because right. we went through a pen or our, our yeah, and it, generation and it, went through a pandemic. And it so. wasn't that uh, it wasn't that different from COVID. They ignored, you know, HIV. They for years, you know, I mean, President Reagan. I Thanks, Reagan. Literally, that fucking asshole. I hope he's burning in hell. Um, he is. He is. <laughs> I, che- I checked. I checked. <laughs> yeah, girl. I consulted. I consulted with you know my contacts. Yeah, you know, our good Judy's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Doctor Shaw. So it's interesting because here in Detroit. Um, our mayor just took a lot of flack because he turned down 6,200 Johnson and Johnson vaccines. You know, he was saying, oh, well, Johnson and Johnson's a good vaccine, but Pfizer and Moderna are better. And I want Detroit to have the best. And he kind of like, I think he's close to the Biden administration and they, they checked him on that. And he said, oh, well, you know what? We're just going to set up a, a separate site for the Johnson and Johnson vaccines. Cause I want to keep the main convention center site for Pfizer and Moderna and then Johnson and Johnson to be on a second site. And from what I'm hearing, his plan is to use the J and J vaccine on perhaps younger people because of the adherence issues that we talked about. Um, Also, because I think in his mind, he feels like it's less effective. And so he wants the younger people to get that one and the older people to have the more effective vaccines. Um, Or he wants the one shot because of the adherence. He wants the younger people to get that because it's only one shot. What do you think about that that kind of bifurcated approach of using J&J on like 
young people and you know and homeless people who are less likely to come back for a second dose and you know and uh other populations like like that would be less likely to be adhere- adherent and follow up on a second I mean dose. I can see how that would work um there there are sort of there's a couple of main you know there's a couple of different ways that people are deploying the vaccines um, I've never heard of that particular approach, but I could see how, because younger folks are less likely to get severely ill and to get hospitalized and die, that you might, that that might be effective in the UK, for instance, they are prioritizing first shots. So they're not even scheduling second doses. They're getting as many people with vaccinated with the first shot. And actually the follow-up studies have shown that that first shot, while the two shots is like 95% effective, the first shot's like 80%. Mm-hmm. So they're they're prioritizing getting everyone a first shot, and they worry about the second shots later. That's so interesting. But I've heard that can create mutations in the future too. They think Maybe. by doing that. Um, but w- again, we've never been in this position, so we don't know, right? It, it, right, right. Yeah, Devereaux. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, until we get it, until we you know are a little removed from this, and we can do some of the st- bigger studies and analyses on on what was most effective, then we won't really know. You know, and my hope, I keep saying this, but I really, really hope we learn a lot of lessons this time that we can apply to the next, because there will be a next mm. pandemic. There's been- Oh, Lord. The next... zombie virus is coming. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> I mean, I listen, all, it, for us, we should be thankful that this virus is one to one and a half percent lethal, because if it were like 10%, so the original SARS was something like, I think, 20 to 30% lethality. Wow. And MERS was somewhere like 10 to 15%. If it were like that and this easily transmissible- that long I incubation mean, period that's what does i mean it. i'm talking about like societal collapse that's not Ooh. like and, re- and respiratory viruses are the ones to really worry about for the future right that's why ebola is is da- is highly uh you know as highly fatal as ebola was it wasn't right. a respiratory virus so it doesn't spread as easily as the respiratory viruses do. exactly so when 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 you know respiratory pathogens are like our I think respiratory infections are the fifth leading cause of death worldwide still. Mm. That's before COVID even. So it's, it's mm. obviously the breathing and the talking and the contact is really the the thing, you know, but we will have another pandemic. We need to be prepared. It, it may not be a coronavirus. It may be a flu or something else, but we need to be prepared. And, and I really, really hope, you know, the thing that scares me in the U S is that we have, we keep having these sort of, um, everything's getting disinvested. Nobody believes the government should do anything. Mm-hmm. And so the result yeah. of that. Thanks Republicans. Thing, I mean, we end up with a government where nobody can do shit for anybody. Mm. Uh, well, just ended it so happy so, and light. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on. <laughs> when you edit this, you should put the good part about the deaths in, in nursing no. homes at the very end. So that, yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm give you a chance to redeem. I'm gonna give you a chance to end it. All right. So that's our show, girls. <laughs> Get ready for be careful with this hot girl summer. Um, yeah. Follow us on social media at Tuesday Queens, IG, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Make sure to hit the notification bell next to the profile if you want to see our thirst traps and more and get our um, local vaccine experts information, her filter down, her um, nigga science. You can always go there for that. 
Um, but honestly, we really um, hope you all enjoyed this conversation. We had to do a two-parter because we really wanted to get in y'all questions as well. I definitely hope y'all stay safe, healthy, and saved out there. Um, and at this moment, we got to really thank um, Dr. Vaccine Shaw for coming on the show, honestly, and giving us your time and letting us really pick through your brains and, you know, get all this good information out to us and to our listeners. We really appreciate it, girl, for real. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. And I'm, I'm happy to, you know, have these conversations because there's so much misinformation and it's unfortunate. And what I'll do is actually I'll send you guys a couple of the folks that I follow that are really like bona fide, you know, virologist folks that that have a lot of really good information that I think would be useful for people to know and follow. Black folks. I love that. Black Thanks for and thank you for contributing to the culture and doing this to the gay culture, to the queer culture, to black culture. Thanks for all of it, girl. Like two snaps to you, girl. Two snaps to Dr. Shaw. Yeah. Um. And not just that. Not just that. Thanks for correcting my nigga science. Keep, <laughs> and keep on Twitter when you see I post some shit that's not right. Keep correcting that shit. Okay. <laughs> keep doing it. Okay. Um. So with that, Doctor Shaw, did you have a final something to leave the girls with? It could be real. It could be light. It could be whatever you want. What are you gonna leave the girls? With? Um. Get vaccinated if you can, and get get your mamas and your aunties and your grandparents vaccinated. Working on it, boo. Working on yeah. it. What you got, Deborah? Uh, yeah, girl. I'm working on getting one of my aunties vaccinated right now. Right now, I'm making her take vitamin D, but she <laughs> she's hesitant. She thinks it's gonna cause another stroke for her because she already had one. So I just I'm making her take vitamin D. I got her some L-glutathione, and I am making her drink beet juice before she goes and takes her vaccine. If that's gonna make her feel better, yes, get her together. Getting her together, Come honey. On. Yes, yes. Well, yes. thank you, thank you, thank you. That's it, girls. Bye, girls. Bye.